count in your Bible, this is the longest letter of any of the letters to these seven churches. So the shortest letter was what we looked at several weeks ago, Jesus's letter to the church in Smyrna. And now we come to the longest to Thyatira. And that's interesting because Thyatira, out of these seven cities, was probably the smallest city. So Jesus has the most to say to the smallest city and probably to the smallest church. You say, why is that the case? I don't rightly know, but Jesus seems to have a lot to say to this church. Jesus has a lot to say to them about their life and their faith and their testimony and their need for courage and for discernment to live for him. Now, before we read the letter, and we'll do that in just a moment, we will read the letter in its entirety. Before we do that, we want to consider just a little background information on this church, on this city, and on this situation. So, firstly this, note this on your outline, Thyatira was a busy, hard-working town, and they were famous for their production of purple dye. Famous for their production of purple dye. But if you've studied the book of Acts, if you are remembering the book of Acts, then you already knew that. Yes, you did. You already knew that. Because in Acts chapter 16, we read about how when Paul went to Philippi, he met a woman named Lydia. And she was from, you guessed it, Thyatira. She was one of the Jewish women there at Philippi. She was gathered outside of the city by the river for prayer. And when Paul meets them and he shares the gospel with them, we read this in Acts 16, verse 14. Luke writes, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods. And she was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. So that's our city, Thyatira. Uh, it was famous for the production of purple dye and purple goods. And Lydia is a successful business woman, and she is there in the city selling and making profit. Now, it's possible that after Acts chapter 16, it's possible that Lydia then traveled back to the city of Thyatira and helped to establish this church but we cannot say for sure. It's also very likely that Paul helped to establish this church during his two-year stay at Ephesus recorded in Acts 19. So there's Thyatira. It is a busy, hard-working town. It is not, uh, I'm not looking to insult anyone from Thyatira here this morning, but it is not particularly beautiful. It is, it is just mostly flat country. It is not known for its scenic views. It is not known for its mountains and for the beautiful scenery. No, it is just mostly flat country. But, note this on your outline, Thyatira sat along an important, prosperous trade route. And it was known for its many business guilds and labor unions, okay? So there's Thyatira on this very important, well-traveled trade route, which means there is a lot of money flowing in and out of Thyatira. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of merchandise that's just coming in and out of the city. As we already noted, the main industry was wool and purple dye, but they were also known for pottery. They made pottery. They were known as leather workers and tanners. They were known for being bakers and sadly they were known for being slave traders and slave dealers they were 
known for being bronzesmiths, and all of this business was controlled by the, by the labor unions, by the business guilds that were really dominating and ruling the city there at Thyatira. So if you wanted to do business, if you wanted to make money, if you wanted to be successful and to be employed, you needed to belong. Okay, You needed to belong to one of these guilds, to one of these labor unions. If you wanted to do business, you needed to do it within their rules and their terms that they had established. And sadly, this caused a great problem for the Christians, for the believers in Thyatira. Note this on your outline. Each one of these guilds and unions they paid homage to, they worshipped various idols and gods and deities that they believed would bless them and prosper their businesses and help them to be very successful and to make lots of money. And so all the leather workers and all the tanners and all the people who made and sold purple goods, they would get together and they would worship their God. They would, they would worship their deity that, that they believed would take care of them and would allow them to be successful and to make money and to, and, 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 and to make a good living. And that is a problem. That's a problem for the Christians, for the believers living there in this city because these times of worship, they would involve eating meat and eating food that has been sacrificed to these deities. And you would eat this food as an act of worship and communion with these false gods. It would also usually involve some kind of a sexual immorality and, and cult prostitution because it was believed that, that uh, having relations with the uh, idolatrous cult prostitute, that that would bring favor with the deity that you were hoping to worship, that you needed to bless your business. So Simon Kistemacher in his commentary, he summarizes the, situ- uh, the situation well when he writes these words. He says, members of the guild were obligated, okay, obligated to attend festivals in honor of these gods, to eat meals in their temples, and to indulge in sexual promiscuity. Non-compliance with these rules meant expulsion from the trade union, lack of employment, and poverty. Christians who refuse to honor pagan gods, eat meat, sacrifice to an idol, and engage in sexual immorality, jeopardized their material necessities. They were regarded as outcasts of society. So, in Thyatira, there was a price to pay for following Christ. In Thyatira, there was a price to pay for loving Christ for being loyal to him, for being committed to him. Or was there? Was there really? Maybe as a Christian, maybe you can have it both ways. Maybe as a Christian, you can still follow Jesus, still love Jesus, and still do the the idol worship thing. Maybe you can still be follower of Christ and still engage with cold prostitutes. Maybe you can have it all. Maybe you can, maybe you can truly embrace the culture and embrace the world and, and embrace sin and still follow Christ too. And in fact, this was being taught in the church at Thyatira. That very error, that very lie was being promoted. There was a prophetess in Thyatira teaching this very thing and she was trending. 
She was good at this. She, she was successful. She was going viral. She was drawing lots of followers to her. And Jesus has some things to say about that. Jesus has some things to say to this little church in Thyatira that is dealing with this pressure from the outside and that is dealing with this cancer on the inside, this corruption on the inside that is spreading within the camp, that is spreading within the church. So if you're in Revelation 2, let's now read the whole letter. This is what Jesus says. Revelation 2 verse 18 And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless... They repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him The morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So reads the words of the living God. Now, that's a long letter. All right. How are we going to break it all down and still eat chicken on time? Do not be concerned. Um, here's, here's where we're going this morning. Here's going to be our outline. First, we're going to see the picture. The picture of Jesus that is presented to this church. Second, we're going to see the portrayal of the church in Thyatira. Meaning, what do they look like? Who do they look like? Who do they resemble? Third, we're going to observe the prophetess. Okay, the prophetess. And notice the quotation marks. She's not really a prophetess. She calls herself a prophetess. God does not. Fourth, we will see the patience of God, the patience of God. And we will see what happens when the patience of God is continually spurned and rejected and defied. Next, we'll see the purpose of God. That's 
what is God up to? Okay, why is God saying this? What is God doing here in this situation, in this letter that has relevance to every church? We're, we'll consider God's purpose. Then we're, we'll consider the priority. Okay, that is Jesus's priority for this church. Jesus's priority for believers who are facing similar situations. What is Jesus's priority? And then we'll consider the position, the position that Jesus desires and that Jesus will give to his children. It is, it is beautiful, it is glorious, it is incredible. But then lastly, and we really have saved the best, well, Jesus has saved the best for last, the prize. What is the privilege, the blessing, the prize, uh, uh, the, the glory, the goodness that Jesus promises to those who overcome, to those who remain faithful to him and who walk with him. So that's, that's where we're going. With that in mind now, we go back to the picture of Christ, the picture of Jesus that is given to this church here. Look again at verse 18. Jesus says to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. All right, if you're taking notes, note this on your outline. The picture of Jesus is one of exalted divine Power and purity. Okay, power and purity. Exalted, divine, power and purity. And in case you're keeping score at home, this is the only time in the book of Revelation that Jesus is called the Son of God. This is it. Right here to this letter and Jesus calls himself the Son of God. This is it. This is the only time in Revelation Jesus is called many things within this glorious book. This is the only time in Revelation that here he is called the Son of God. Why? Why? Because the believers in Thyatira need to be reminded who exactly is speaking to them. It is, it is, it is not someone whose opinion you can afford to ignore. It is the Son of God now speaking to you. These believers, they need to be reminded of who has ultimate authority, who has true power. It is the Son of God. They need to be reminded of the one who is so worthy of their trust. He is so worthy of your love and of your confidence and of your faith. It is the Son of God. And listen, this so-called prophetess who is teaching the deep things of Satan, who is she opposing? She's opposing the Son of God, the very divine Son of God. She stands in opposition to God himself. She, if she knows it or not, she is on a suicidal mission. Don't listen to her. Don't heed her. Don't Follow her. Don't obey her. Listen to the Son of God. Listen to the one who is now speaking to you. And what is he like? His eyes are like a flame of fire. His feet are like burnished bronze. You say, what does that mean? It means, listen, it means he burns with indignation and anger at those who would mislead his people. He burns in anger at those who lie about him and who lie about the glory of God and who lie about what God asks of his people. He burns with anger at those who would seek to deceive people. His eyes penetrate to the heart of every situation. He sees, he knows, he tests every heart and mind. His feet, even his 
feet are pure. They are strong. They are like metal that has just come out of the furnace. They are like burnished bronze. Jesus here is pictured as being absolutely committed to the purity of his people. He is committed to his people. He longs to see them walking in love and fellowship with him. So listen up, Thyatira. Listen up. Harbor Shores Church, the Son of God is the one speaking here. The Son of God who sees everything, who hates sin, who knows the deepest parts of us. He is the one who stands in strength and dignity and glory. He is the one who is committed to your growth. The one who is committed to your purity. He has something to say to you. Look at verse 19. Here we see now this portrayal and description of this church. What does Jesus say to them? He says, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. Okay, this is a short commendation from Jesus But do not overlook it. It is an impressive commendation from Christ to this church. I mean, these believers, they are growing. They are moving up in love and faith and service and patient endurance. Now, this is so interesting. Note this on your outline. This portrayal of Thyatira, it is noticeably like the opposite of Ephesus. It is, it is noticeably like the opposite of what we saw to the church in Ephesus. Remember Ephesus. They were strong on discernment. They were strong on rejecting false teachers and false teaching. But what were they lacking in? Do you remember what, what Ray shared with us? They were lacking in love. Love is the very first thing that the believers in Thyatira are commended for. What does Jesus say? I know your works. I know your love. You are growing in love. In fact, your love now is greater than when you first began. This is so good. The believers in Thyatira, they are growing in love. They are growing in faith. That is, they want to be faithful to the Lord. They want to follow Christ. Their faith is, in fact, growing. Service. Jesus says you are growing in your service. And we should know this. Why? You can't grow in love and not grow in service. They're growing in service as an expression of their love. They're actually seeking to love one another, to, to show preference and honor to one another. This is a church that you want to be a part of. It is. I mean, if all you knew was this, if all you knew was verse 19, you'd be like, sign me up for the membership class there. I want, I want to be a part of this church. They're growing in their love, in their faith, in their service to one another. And Jesus says, patient endurance. You are in it for the long haul. You are not fair weather disciples. You are committed. You are enduring. You are showing patience in your endurance. You are resolved uh, to follow and to love Christ. I like this church. 
I like Thyatira. We as a church family, we should want to imitate and to emulate Thyatira in all of these ways. This is a, this is a beautiful church. This is a good thing in so many ways. And Jesus does not want to miss, and he doesn't miss, this opportunity to commend them and to encourage them for what they are doing so well. And yet, even with all of the outstanding progress, even in the face of growing love, faith, service, and patient endurance, there is a perilous, dangerous, disastrous flaw that has to be addressed. Not maybe could be, it has to be addressed. Verse 20, Jesus says, I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. So, note this on your outline. We need to talk about the prophetess and she was deceiving many into immorality and idolatry. Now, before we before we jump too far ahead, let me ask you a question. What exactly about this situation does Jesus not like? What exactly does Jesus zero in here as the problem in this situation? What is the issue uh, with these believers here at Thyatira? What were they doing that was so bad that Jesus says to them, I have this against you? Answer, you tolerate. You tolerate that woman Jezebel. You put up with it. You look the other way and you pretend like everything is fine while she is manipulating and exercising influence. You don't deal with it as it deserves to be dealt with. You pretend like everything is okay while people are being harmed spiritually and you are standing there doing nothing You tolerate it. You tolerate it. And brothers and sisters, the application from Jesus' words, it is so obvious, is it not? Please stop. Please stop tolerating this. Stop ignoring this. People's spiritual well-being is at stake. The purity, listen, the purity and the joy of God's people is at stake. Would you please stop tolerating this? The testimony and the accuracy of the proclaimed gospel is at stake. Would you please stop tolerating this? This is not a secondary issue. This is a primary problem. Deal with it. This is what Jesus wants these believers to see and to understand. Now, (laughs) brothers and sisters, before we go further, I want to be very clear on something. I know I, I just came at you, you know, with both guns blazing, and rightfully so. I'm not done yet either. There's more blanks on your outline, okay? But before we go on, I want to be clear on something, okay? The word tolerance... The word tolerate, not always a bad word. Not always a bad word. Um, 
there are many things, there are many things that within the body of Christ, we are called to tolerate and to joyfully tolerate, to joyfully welcome and accept about one another. Okay, for example, we as a church family should joyfully tolerate and embrace and welcome into our fellowship people who have quirky personalities. Amen? You might be one of them. Okay? And in fact, if you're saying, I don't know who he's talking about, you probably are the person that I'm talking about, right? We should welcome into our fellowship brothers and sisters and people who have quirky personalities. And we should welcome into our fellowship people who have varying opinions on style and and fashion. We should welcome into our fellowship uh, believers who have strong and different convictions and ideas about schooling choices and options and, and career opportunities and direction to go. We should tolerate people who tell really bad dad jokes. People who tell, we have, for years we have tolerated you, and uh, I want you to know that we know that we are tolerating you. We should tolerate joyfully so those who maybe overshare on Facebook and who share too many memes and too many cat videos. We love you too. We should tolerate Joyfully so. Those who are passionate about different hobbies and sports teams and those who choose to listen to country music. We can, we love you and we, and we tolerate you. We should tolerate and embrace and welcome. Listen, those who are strong in their faith and those who are weak in their faith. Oh, we, we love you. We are so glad that you're, if you, if you are strong in your faith, praise God. If you are weak in your faith, we are so glad that you are here. We, we want you here. We want you learning and growing with us. We want, we want to pray with you and for you. We want you to pray for us and with us. We, we joyfully welcome and tolerate those who are working through the difficult temptations of life. And those that are struggling with besetting sins and those that recognize I'm not where I need to be and want to be and I want to grow in Christ and I'm not there. And, and we tolerate and we joyfully do so and we welcome in those who are saddened and grieved by so many of the trials and difficulties of life that come to all of us at different times. There is so much that in life, in the body of Christ, we are called to bear with one another. We are called to lovingly and to joyfully welcome one another and to walk alongside one another and to tolerate all of these kinds of things. In fact, the Apostle Paul would write so clearly in Ephesians 4.1 saying, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with what? With what? What does it look like to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of Christ? How do I walk? I walk with what? With all humility and gentleness and patience. Bearing with one another in love. Being eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So, believers at Thyatira, please don't lose this. Please don't stop doing this. Brothers and sisters, 
we can't lose this. May we never be short on humility, love, patience, gentleness, a willingness to bear with one another. But but the believers at Thyatira, they needed to add something to this. They didn't want to lose this, but they needed to add something to this. And we need to have this as well. They needed to add courage, boldness, and a willingness to act for the sake of the gospel. Courage and boldness and discernment and a willingness to act for the glory of Christ. Listen, this false prophetess, she did not have a quirky personality. That was not the problem. She didn't have a unique perspective on some secondary issues. She was actively and knowingly promoting sin actively and knowingly encouraging the people of God to participate in the things that God hates. That God says, I don't want you to have anything to do with this. This is not good for you. This does not glorify me. This is not right in my sight. Please have nothing to do with this. And she was saying, come on, it's okay. It's it's okay. How do we know the kind of attitude and the kind of thought and the kind of judgment that Jesus has towards this prophetess. We know this because Jesus calls her Jezebel. That was most likely not her real name. Jesus calls her Jezebel to explain her character, her motivation. She is like the Jezebel that we read about in 1 Kings chapter 16. For those of you that remember your Old Testament well during that time where there were so many kings ruling in Israel, most of them bad, but a few of them good. King Ahab was especially bad and he uh, doubled down on his wickedness by marrying a, a woman named Jezebel. And she was an idolater. This was Jezebel who actively promoted the worship of Baal throughout the nation of Israel. I mean, she was aggressive in it. She was paying and promoting and spreading priests of Baal throughout the nation of of Israel. This was Jezebel who actively tried to kill all of the prophets of God. This was Jezebel who who, uh, uh, repeatedly threatened to kill the prophet Elijah because he was promoting the truth and was defending the reality of who God really is. This was Jezebel who was deceitful and murderous and manipulative and who hated the God of Israel. This is Jezebel who was condemned by God and who died a horrible, awful death. Jesus says that there's a woman like Jezebel operating within this fellowship here at Thyatira, having influence. And they were tolerating this woman who, again, verse 20, says that she calls herself a prophetess, meaning Jesus does not think she is a prophetess. Okay, in case you were wondering, Jesus doesn't think she's a prophetess. The elders and the deacons at Thyatira, they have not assigned her and declared who declared her to be a prophetess. The text says she calls herself a prophetess. She has uh, uh, awarded this title to herself and for herself, and that's kind of a red flag. That's a, that's a problem. Brothers and sisters, don't listen to self-appointed, self-governed 
prophets or prophetesses who operate on their own outside of the godly leadership structure that God has established for his church. Don't listen. Don't follow. Don't submit to them. Don't listen to someone who claims grand titles for themselves all the while. They reject the authority of the local church. They reject the authority of, of deacons and elders who have been tested over time. Don't follow them. This woman claimed to be a prophetess. She claimed to have a word from the Lord. She claimed most likely to have visions and dreams and voices and all kinds of extra biblical revelations. And Jesus said, says she is a liar. She is a liar. She is not a prophetess. She is not someone that you ought to listen to, that you should follow. She is deceptive. She is not from God. Verse 20, Jesus says that she taught and seduced people into two things, sexual immorality and eating meat sacrificed to idols. Then, in verse 24, says that people would recall her teaching and refer to her teaching as, quote, the deep things of Satan. Which, just in case you were wondering, that's another red flag. If someone's out there, I would like to introduce you to the deep things of Satan. I'll pass. Hard pass. Hard pass every time. Most likely, brothers and sisters, most likely, this is how the conversation went. Listen, to really live for Christ, you need more than Christ. Do you want to represent Christ well in this culture, in this time, with the business guilds and with the labor unions that exist within the city of Thyatira? Listen, you need to know, you need to experience, you need to involve yourself in all of the things of the world. In fact, you can benefit from them. You can benefit from being a part of the uh, pagan festivals and the idolatrous worship practices. You can benefit from the ritual prostitution. You can even benefit from going deep into the things of Satan. And it is okay. It is okay to participate in this because you are already secure in Christ. Grace already covers you. You are strong in the Lord. You are equipped. Therefore, you can experience even the deep things of Satan and you will be just fine. In fact, it will be for your good. It will be so you can witness to and you can reach the culture for Christ. Don't you want to do that? Don't you want to reach the culture for Christ? Follow me. It is so deceptive. It is so wrong. Please note this on your outline. The point is this, and this is, this is so often the point. It's always easy to justify sin in the name of cheap grace. It's always easy to justify sin in the name of cheap grace. And I tell you this. There's a little Jezebel operating in all of us. It's really easy for us to make excuses for our own sins in the name of grace. We are all tempted to rationalize away our sin and us pursuing the flesh and doing the things that God said are harmful to us and we tell ourselves that it's going to be okay. We tell ourselves that we can dive deep into the corruption of the world and the 
entertainment of the world that glorifies sin and violence and idolatry and sex and it will be okay. We can just blend in at work and we can do what everybody else is doing because we're just hoping to make a good income and maybe someday I'll be a voice for Christ but I have to keep this job now. I can't stand out for Christ. I can't do that. I have to think of myself. I can use my mouth the way I want to because I'm just trying to stay relevant. I'm trying to stay in step with my circle of friends. I need to do this to make myself more acceptable so that maybe someday I can be a witness for Christ. I can go deep into darkness because once saved, always saved. Okay, Jezebel, whatever you say. Whatever you say. But Jesus is not impressed. He sees through all of this. And he desires what is good for his people. He desires for his people to be like him. So how will Jesus respond to this? What has Jesus done in seeing this error and this false teaching? Look again at verse 21. Jesus says, quote, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works and I will strike her children dead. Here we see, noted on your outline, that the patience of God was sadly rejected and thus judgment is coming. Jesus gave time, but Jezebel stubbornly refused to repent. And her followers, that's her children, not her literal children, but her followers, they also refused to repent. And so Jesus says, here's what's coming. Trouble, disaster, sickness, and death. That's, that's what is coming. And brothers and sisters, this should not surprise us. Okay, This is the end of sin. This is where sin always leads to. This is always the result of, of sin. For the wages of sin is... Death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our, our Lord. And listen, here, here's the amazing thing, okay? And, and you, you probably noticed it here. You, it, it stands out. Even here in Jesus' words that we just read, did you catch it? There is still the offer of hope. There is still the offer of grace and, and forgiveness. Jesus says at the end of verse 22, three words, unless they repent. Unless they repent. Meaning what? Meaning there's still time. There is still time to repent. There is still time to listen and to turn away from wickedness and to seek Christ. There is still time to find hope and life in Him. The writer of Hebrews reminds us, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Do you hear that? Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Listen to Christ today. Come to Him today. Find grace in Him today. And listen, if you are hearing this, there is still time for you to find healing and to find grace in Christ. And if you would like to talk with someone about this, we'd be happy to talk with you after the service or at the picnic. We would love to sit down and to talk with you. Uh, why is this so important? Because we are convinced that Jesus wants everyone to hear this message. 
Jesus wants everyone to hear this message. You say, how can you be so sure that Jesus wants everyone to hear this message because of what Jesus says next in verse 23? Look at this. Verse 23, Jesus says, quote, And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. Noted on your outline, here we see the purpose of God. The purpose of God was to use this situation as an example to every church. Every church. And admittedly, that is kind of a scary thing. When Jesus writes a letter to your church in specific and says, okay, I'm going to make you guys an example for every other church. Okay, I want every other church, I want all of the churches to learn from what I'm about to do in you. What I'm about to do in you, what I have said to you, I want every other church to see this and to know. And what was it that Jesus wanted every church to know? Two things. Number one, Jesus knows your mind and heart. He is omniscient. He is God. He knows your thoughts, your motivations, your desires, your intentions, your fears, your joys, your goals, everything. Number two, Jesus wants us to know that he is impartial. He is wise and just when he acts as a judge. He is wise and just when he acts as a judge. Jesus says at the end of verse 23, I will give to each of you according to your works. Now, admittedly, that's a difficult sentence because what does Jesus mean by this? I mean, I hear this and I immediately think, well, uh, I'm... I'm not saved by my works. So what is Jesus saying here when he says that I will give to each one according to their works? Is Jesus talking in regards to the believer or in regards to the unbeliever? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Here's how we need to understand this. We need to understand this, this verse, like we do with all verses. We need to look at it in context. We need to understand the theme and the direction and the encouragement and the motivation that Jesus is giving to these believers. So let's look at it from both sides for just a moment. The unbeliever, the one who rejects Christ, should hear this verse and be warned. Jesus will not ignore your works. Jesus will not ignore the sin that you have done. Jesus will not ignore the ways that you have rebelled against him. If you do not repent, you will be judged according to your works. Jesus knows. He is a just judge. But for the believer, we are not condemned for our sins. We are not judged and destroyed according to our works. We are graciously covered in Christ by His blood. And the, the, the glorious news of the New Testament is that Jesus rewards and blesses His children for those acts of faith and love that they do in His name. Uh, Hebrews 6.10 reminds us so clearly that God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for His name in serving the saints as you still do. So for the unbeliever, this verse testifies to the certainty of judgment before Christ. But for the believer, this verse reminds us that Jesus knows every act of faith, every act of love that we do for His name, and He will bless that. He will reward his children. He delights to do this. Now, 
we move from Jesus' purpose to Jesus' priority for his people right here, right now. And I love this. It is not complicated. (laughs) It is not complicated. Verse 24, Jesus says, But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast what you have until I come. Noted on your outline, the priority of Jesus for his people remains the same, and it's not complicated. It is not complex. Jesus does not get to verse 24 and say, okay, guys, after everything I've said to you, here's what I need you to do. I Step one, I need you to build a time machine. Step number two, I need you to figure out perpetual motion. Step number three, I need you to find a way to make kale taste good. That's not what Jesus says. It's not complicated. It is actually unbelievably clear and simple. Jesus says, I have no new burden to lay on you. I have no new command to give to you. What does he say? Hold fast. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. Hold fast to what you know to be true. Don't Follow this false teacher. Expose and reject what is false. Hold fast to the gospel. Hold fast to the fact that you already have everything you need in Christ. Hold fast to what you have been doing. Remember verse 19, to the love and the faith and the acts of service and the patient endurance. Continue in these things. Hold fast to the joy, to the hope, to the certainty of Jesus' return because here he promises that he is is coming soon. And brothers and sisters, this is the same message that we need to hear today. This is the same truth that we need to understand. Hold fast to what you have received in the word of God. Hold fast to the sufficiency of Christ. Don't be confused. Don't be troubled. Don't be perplexed when every new fancy popular prophet and prophetess shows up with some new book and some new heresy. Don't be confused by this, Jesus says. Hold fast to what you know to be true until I come. Hold fast and never stop holding fast because Jesus is coming and he has glorious things planned for his children. You say, like what? I'm so glad you asked. That's the last couple of verses. Look at verse 26. The one who conquers, that is the one who stands fast, the one who holds fast, the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my father. Now, time is running out, but let me just say this real quick. I would not feel comfortable saying what I'm about to say, except that Jesus says it first. Jesus says this. I am merely repeating and reiterating what he has already said. Please note this on your outline. The position that is promised here to Jesus' people is to rule with Christ. To rule with Jesus. Listen, using the authority that he has already received from the Father. That is, that is what Jesus says here. That is what Jesus promises here. That his people will rule over the nations with him using the very same authority that he has already received 
from the Father. This is a future promise, but it rests upon the authority that Jesus already has, which means it's as good as done. Okay, Jesus is not waiting someday in the future to receive authority so that he can rule and then maybe his people will rule with him. No, this is guaranteed. It is an absolute done deal. How? Why? Because Jesus already possesses all authority. Yet, there is coming a day in the future when the reality of that will be seen in all of his people as his people rule with him. This is, again, is a future promise. This is not currently the experience of of God's people. If you show up to the House of Representatives next week and you say, I rule over the nations, they will call security on you. And, and that's fine because this is a future promise. This is not yet the reality for God's people, but Jesus is looking forward to his future literal reign on the earth where his people will rule with him. I believe this reign is further described in Revelation 20. I think Paul alludes to this in 1 Corinthians 6 where he asks the rhetorical question saying, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Paul believed that the believers would have a role in ruling and judging the nations. And this is exactly what Christ promises to his children who hold fast. But that's not all. In fact, you know what? That's not even the true prize, believe it or not. That's not even the true prize. That's not even, although that is glorious, I look forward to that. You should look forward to that. The true prize is what Jesus says next. And it is so short, it is so small, it almost gets lost, but it doesn't. Verse 28, Jesus says, and I will give him the morning star. Please note this on your outline. Here's the prize. The prize of overcoming always was and always will be Jesus himself. Jesus himself. Jesus is the morning star. Jesus is the treasure that is worth everything. Jesus is the pearl of great price that you should sell everything and gladly do so, so that you have Christ. You say, how do you know that Jesus is the morning star? Because he tells us at the very end of the book of Revelation, in chapter 22, verse 16, Jesus says this, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. And then he says, I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Hold fast. Why? So that you get more of Christ. So that you know more of his presence, more of his grace, more of his power, more of his love, more of his overcoming, sustaining grace, more of him hold fast. And who needs to hear this message? Verse 29, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we delight to be your people this morning. And yet, even as we delight to be your people, we acknowledge the reality of the battle that we are in, the war that we are in. We read this letter to the believers at Thyatira, and God, we want to be like them in that we excel in love and faith and servant and patient endurance. God, may that be true of us, but Lord, may it also be true of us that we excel 
encouraged, that we excel in discernment, that we excel in rejecting what is false and in clinging to what is good. God, we pray that you would give us wisdom in these days to truly live for your honor and glory, that we would be faithful ambassadors for Christ. God, I pray for each person here that if they don't know you, that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would respond in faith and joy and repentance to Jesus Christ. Do this for your glory. Do this for our joy and our good. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.